We started culturally speaking to indulge our curiosity about the way others live and a desire to inspire conversations about how we have far more in common than we realise. The following episode contains references to physical abuse and domestic violence. Hi, my name is Bianca. I'm a women's leadership coach, so I'm very passionate about helping women reach formal positions of power because I think the world is a better place when there's true diversity in senior leadership in all areas of society. And my story starts with... When I was four years old, my grandmother asked me, hey, Bianca, what do you want to be when you grow old? And my grandmother and me, we were always watching the Olympics or sports on television. And I loved watching ice skating, figure ice skating. And I told my grandmother, I want to be an ice skater when I grow up. And she smiled at me and she said, that's that's cute. You can be an ice skater as a hobby, but it's not a job. The job that you should have is you should be an accountant because when your husband beats you, you'll have enough money to leave him. And that stuck with me for a very long time because I grew up in a household where there was a lot of violence against women. And it was very normal for me that there was a lot of violence against women. And I spent my whole childhood hiding because when you when you're hiding when you're not being seen that's when people can't hurt you that's when you can't be put down so I became very good at school you know my grandmother taught me in order to become an accountant you have to be doing really good at school so that's what I did I became the class SWAT (laughs) and um And I loved learning at school. I really enjoyed it. And a big turning point came when I was about 15 years old and I was revising for an exam on the following day. My dad came into the house drunk and angry as most evenings. And instead of hiding in my bed and pretending that I was asleep, I decided that I needed to revise more for this exam because this exam was very important for me. And he came into my room and he found some things to complain about, like things that weren't tidy enough. And that was the first time when I stood up for myself because he wanted me to stop revising. He thought that education was a waste of time and instead I should be his little daughter and do as he said. And I said, no. I'm not going to tidy up my room. I think it's more important for me to revise for this exam because it's tomorrow. And that's when he totally freaked out and we had a fight. Um, I was scared that he would hurt me. I kicked at him and that's when I got even more scared after I'd done that. And I left the house wearing just pajamas and slippers. And he said, if you ever come back, I will kill you. And I knew he had a rifle in his bedroom. So then I just, I was just so scared. I was scared to death. I was just running and running and running and running. And uh, into the village. And after like, I basically crossed the whole village and I looked back. And that's when I realized he wasn't there. 
And then I felt like this wave of shame come over me because what if people had seen me, right? Because in the village, everybody knows everybody. And what if somebody had seen me wearing a pajama running away from my parents' house? And I thought, well, I didn't want to knock on anybody's door. I only really knew two or three people well enough in the village anyway. And then I thought, what am I going to do? Because if I stay outside, I will die because it was it was snowing um and if I go back to my parents house I will die and I couldn't really trust anybody in the village so um I went back to the house and got my bike with a view of cycling to my grandparents house who lived 10 miles away from my parents because I felt like these these grandparents were trustworthy enough. I could trust them and they wouldn't send me back, hopefully. And um, I was really, really scared because we had these lights that turn on automatically in the garden. So I basically went through like a field in order to get to the shed where my bike was. Because I didn't want to trigger the lights in the garden. And um, there was this gate and the gate was just underneath my parents' bedroom and the light in my parents' bedroom was on. So I was really scared that my dad would see me or hear me take my bike. And um, I didn't want to open the gate because the gate was really noisy and they would have, for sure, they would have heard that gate. So what I did was I lifted my bike over the gate and to this day I don't know how that was even possible for like a 15 year old girl to lift a a bike over that gate but I did it and then I carried instead of cycling straight from my parents house I was just so scared that they would see me or hear me um, because again we had those lights on the other side of of the house that would be triggered if there was movement I carried my bike over the field and then as soon as I was out of reach of the um, of the lights, I started cycling. And I was, <laughs> man, I cycled so fast. I'd never cycled that fast in my whole life before. So I started cycling. And when I was about two-thirds of the way to my grandparents' house, and I mean, I'd been crying the whole way. I was crying so much I could barely see the street. And it was really late. It was like 11 o'clock at night or something. And it was the it was the countryside. So there's nobody around, you know, because if there if there, if somebody had been driving there, seeing a young girl in a pajama cycling on a bike, they, they surely would have stopped right and and asked. <clears throat> so um, I cycled. I was crying. I was scared um, that, you know, some something would happen to me that like some other crazy person would follow me and kill me. And then I noticed these electricity pylons on the side and and there were those those iron ones, those triangular shaped iron ones. And I thought, man, it would just be so easy to just climb up and end it all, end all the pain. And I put my bike on the floor and looked up at that pylon. And as I walked over to that pylon, this man appeared in front of me. And he was wearing the same slippers as me. So these Birkenstock slippers that people wear inside the house. 
and um, or they looked similar they were not exactly the same and he was wearing like almost like a pajama but with a longer top like um like middle eastern kind of style and he had long hair and a beard and then I was just thinking to myself is this what was Jesus looks like and then I started judging him because I was like you know I was like 15 years old and I thought like dude <laughs> that's not cool this is not you don't look cool right <laughs> Um, and he just had, he just had a one question for me, really. He just asked me, aren't you curious what's going to happen? And that was just such a pattern interrupt to me. And I thought, Hey, yeah, of course I'm curious what's going to happen. So I looked at my bike and that made me doing that made me look away from him. And then I looked back at him, but he was gone. So then I just got on my bike and cycled to my grandparents' house. And in a way, this sentence, you know, this 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 question, aren't you curious what's going to happen? That's almost become my mantra in a way. Because whenever life hits me now with stuff that <laughs> is like a bad surprise... I always remember this man saying to me, aren't you curious what's going to happen? And that changes my whole perspective of things. Of course, I'm going to um, curious what's going to happen next. Because, hey, I'm not going to, you know, read the book of my life and stop reading it halfway through, not knowing what the end of the story is going to be like, right? So I was curious what's going to happen. And then I carried on cycling to my grandparents' house, and when I got there, um, again, they lived at the other end of the village that they lived in, so I cycled all through the village, nobody had seen me, there was no cars there, and I put the bike down, and I was too scared to ring the bell, because I kind of didn't want to disturb them, right, I kind of felt guilty that I had to do this, and um of course I had to wake them up so it was quite kind of a really strange concern um I went to their bedroom and I started knocking on the window and I was crying I was so scared that they'd sent me back home and then my grandfather said oh my gosh Bianca is that you is that you and they opened the window first they talked to me and they were like oh my gosh I can't believe you're here how did you get here and where's your jacket, right? They were totally shocked to see me and I was crying so much. And they got me in and they were shocked at what my dad had done. My grandfather was so furious. He wanted to kill my dad. And, um, well, not for real, not for, he was just very angry. And then they called my mom. They couldn't reach her, I think. And then I went to bed. My mom came the following morning and she brought me some clothes and all she had to say to me is that she didn't even know that I'd left the house. And then uh, I went to school, sat the exam and later my mom came around again, I think, and she told me how miserable her life was and our whole chat turned into a therapy session for her. And 
basically what happened after that is that a week afterwards I moved back in with my parents and my dad came into my room one night I pretended I was asleep as I always did right because that meant that the accusations and the terror were minimized and he just said that he was sorry and I said I'm okay or that's okay and that was it yeah so we never spoke about that incident again not with anybody in my whole family nobody ever mentioned it again or brought it up again ever not even at any of my parents funerals well I didn't go to my dad's funeral because I was heavily pregnant and in a different country but nobody ever brought it up again I don't think my siblings even know about this incident they were both in the house when it happened but it was quite a big house and yeah it was very usual um, for, for there to be arguments and people shouting at each other and throwing <laughs> frying pans at each other all the mirrors in our house were broken because uh, yeah, people used them as means to demonstrate their anger so in a way yeah I never got complete closure on that and my mind actually I completely forgot about that incident for a long time for for a very long time like I didn't even remember very much about my childhood I just remembered that it wasn't a very happy childhood until I did the work uh, much much later so yeah in a way it was as if it hadn't happened mm. and then life continued life continued I moved out of my parents house as soon as I left school and then I I've always I had always wanted to go to Australia or to the US you know just go as far away as possible and um, my funds didn't really stretched that far so I went to the UK and studied here and I had a year out in France as well mm. and gosh yes France was an interesting experience because I lived in Paris and in Paris again uh, you get uh, gosh it's a completely different lifestyle as a young woman in Paris uh, the experiences that you get is just um, shocking, really, really, really shocking. So <laughs> I went to the post office to open a bank account because I was told that that's relatively easy compared to the banks. So I went to the post office to open a bank account <laughs> and it ended up with um, the guy basically telling me, oh, you know, foreign women, they have to do more. Um you need to it basically I, and I don't know how we got there but it basically ended up with him giving me the number of a female painter who painted naked women and for some reason he was really happy about that and it was just such a bizarre completely weird experience it's like I'm here to open a bank account and you're telling me to get my clothes off and have some woman paint me that was just really bizarre and that was my introduction basically to life as a young woman in Paris so um I went to I went to see a flat and um the guy said okay let's meet here again um on Thursday evening and that's when that's when we can sign the contract 
And so I appeared on Thursday evening and he was there too. And he brought all these tea lights because apparently the electricity wasn't working. So I found myself, I found myself with this man in an apartment with tea lights. And I thought, ah, no, um, I'd rather not sign the contract, you know, Uh, especially because he was my landlord and he would have kept the key and it just all didn't seem right. And, uh, (laughs) I accepted an invitation to a dinner from a gentleman who met me in the street. And um, this this will be interesting. I mean, if as a woman you accept an invitation for a dinner in Paris, um, that basically means that um, (laughs) uh, interaction is in the cards, um, you know, from the point of view of the guy, a certain type of interactions in the cards. And of course, I had no idea that that was the case. So it was it was quite an unfortunate misunderstanding for him, you know, buying me dinner and then not getting uh, <laughs> getting his part of the deal. So anyways, that was that was fun and games in Paris, you know, um, the poor Parisian men having to put up with a very um, straight up. German woman who didn't know the cultural <laughs> code over there. And when I started working in London, once I had graduated from university in France and in the UK, um, the behavior that men showed towards me wasn't really that much different. So despite the fact that I was working in a big four accountancy firm and sitting very highly demanding exams and passing most of them I what happened I once got offered a pound for a strip by a subordinate male in front of a room of other men all of whom were junior to me this was the second year and um and on a Friday afternoon, right? He has a pound for a strip. Why don't you entertain us? And these, these, I was giving, you know, tasks. I was giving them tasks and they had to complete them. And instead of completing the tasks, I got offered a pound for a strip. And when I mentioned this to my manager a while later, um, all that he had to say to me was, hey, Bianca, you're not going to report it, right? You better get used to it. This is the city. So uh, that was quite shocking. That was basically when, that was the straw on the camel's back where I decided this is just, this is just all too much. (laughs) You know, there must be a better way at a different company. So that's, um, that's when I decided to resign and go somewhere else. What made things even worse is that I was then sent back to complete the tasks that these gentlemen hadn't completed on a day where there was a social event happening where the guy who had offered me a strip basically went to play golf with the partners of that establishment. So that just was unbelievable. It was unbelievable in a very negative way. So I went somewhere else. I only stayed there for a year uh, for similar reasons. And then I went somewhere else again. And then in the third job, when I found myself in the third job after three years, 
and I was still being talked down to my ideas were still either not listened to or they were stolen from me you know um, the credit of these ideas went to somebody else and when basically I was working really long hours trying to accommodate everybody's requests but people were never happy with the result that I delivered I got very angry I got very angry and very disillusioned right I mean I was thinking about going online and looking for the next job so I thought about going online and looking for the next job but then I realized it's just going to be the same nonsense everywhere it's going to be the same nonsense everywhere something has to change and instead of trying to rely on these companies to change well that wasn't even an option at the time this was like 15 years ago I decided that I was just gonna stop tolerating this nonsense. So what happened was, well, the catalyst for me to really change was when I collapsed from a bike in a lunchtime spinning class. <laughs> so I was so exhausted. I collapsed from this bike in a spin class. And in the same week, I was told that I was underperforming. And if there was a redundancy round, the likelihood I would be in it would be relatively high. That's when I realized, okay, uh, looking at everybody around me, there's no reason why I can't have the same performance as these people. So I looked at what other people were doing, how they were behaving. And I compare myself but in a really realistic neutral way and I concluded there's no reason why I can't do these things that these people are doing right but I need to have the time to do these things and I mean I didn't do this all myself I had help from people I went and hired a coach a nutritionist a healer an acupuncturist right I had like a whole backup team because I, I basically decided you know, I'm not going to wait for the company to give me training. I'm not going to wait for, I'm not going to wait for the company to give me training. I'm not going to wait for my boss to suddenly realize how brilliant I was. And I was not going to wait to do more time before taking more responsibility, right? I was ready for more responsibility, but I was spending too much time on stuff that didn't really matter, that nobody really cared about. So what I decided to do is, you know, after having done the inner mindset work and realized that I had real value to offer, was that I started saying no to people. I started saying no to ridiculous requests. And that freed up time for me to do needle moving tasks yes yeah, so I went to see a lady in management she was basically my boss's boss and I asked her what do you need to see from me in order to promote me and she said you think you're doing a brilliant job but others don't see it. It's your responsibility to show them. And that was a massive light bulb moment for me. 
So when you're invisible, people can't hurt you. Now my job required me to become visible. And that was very, very scary. So it's basically, it was two things I was doing, right? Firstly, I was reminding myself, I'm not that little girl. I'm a woman now. And I put my focus on other women at the company that were already doing what I wanted to do. And I was modeling off them. And I was also modeling off the men. So I observed the men and I looked at what I liked about their behavior that I wanted to emulate and that I felt like it was something that was achievable for me. So what gives me hope for the future is that the future is incredibly exciting and like Jesus told me, aren't you curious about what's going to happen? And yes, I'm very curious what's going to happen because my life is like an endless soap opera. There's a new sequel coming every day and I know it's going to be exciting because I'm going to make it exciting, right? I was never going to stay in a job where there's no growth. Um, and that's also why I left that job um, once I'd hit a ceiling where like a growth ceiling or a growth plateau. And my life satisfaction is very, very high. It's a 10 out of 10 because I make it a 10 out of 10. I find ways to make it a 10 out of 10. It's a decision, right, that you take. And I'm just so incredibly grateful to have created what I have created to date and to have the possibility and the potential to continue creating amazing things for myself and for my family and for my friends and for anybody who's in my orbit every day subscribe rate and review on your favorite podcast platform and follow us on instagram at culturally speaking podcast you can also check out our website culturallyspeaking.co.uk for a transcript of this episode Share your stories or your show ideas with us by sending us an email at theculturallyspeaking at gmail.com.